Welcome to the Agris Law Firm video podcast. We are a different kind of law firm and that's on purpose. At Agris Law Firm, we see you as a person and not just a client, and that makes us better at what we do. We're not just lawyers and you're not just a client. We're friends, neighbors, and family. This show is about all things legal-ish that friends, neighbors, and family wanna know. This is season one, episode one, and today we're talking real estate. Today's guest is Melissa Tannehill, the owner of Tannehill Law. Tannehill Law represents buyers, sellers, and investors in the purchase and sale of residential and commercial property. Melissa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Of course. When I thought about doing this video podcast, you were the first person who I thought I would have on as a guest. Thanks. I'm honored. You were here as a law clerk. You were here as a lawyer. Uh, and then when you left me, I felt like I failed you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. No. <laughs> um, I always knew that you would have your own law firm. Um, I'm glad that you... Thanks. I'm glad that you started it. It's been almost a year now. It has been almost a year. Great. Yes. Uh, so tell me a little bit about Tannehill Law. Sure. So I am um, basically representing clients buying and selling residential and commercial property. So that goes from anywhere from clients just buying their first home or selling their first home clients, um, downsizing because they are getting older, or kids have left the nest, or upsizing because they're starting a new family. And then I also have a base of clients that are primarily investors who basically just um, buy and sell, either flip the home or rent to um, tenants and just keep the property. Um, and then I help those clients specifically with the needs of their um, creating their LLC, their partnership agreement, so on and so forth. So it's a vast range, but primarily I am focusing on residential and commercial real estate. Okay. And when I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking that this would be a uh, real estate 101 uh, type of podcast. So sure. tell me, when is, uh, when is someone ready to buy a place? Um, I would say someone's ready to buy a place when they are um, committed to a location, when they've been in an area and they can see themselves in that area for a long term. If they're, if they're planning on living in this property, um, they want to basically know that it's convenient to get to work um, and that they can handle the payment, right? So they, they want to save for the down payment, um, know what the market's like to make sure that their mortgage payment taxes and insurance is comparable to what they're comfortable paying now, or if they can afford a little bit more as far as how much that how much more that is. And <clears throat> when someone makes that decision that now is the right time to buy, what do you recommend doing first? Do you want to find a place first or do you want to get a loan first? What's the next step? So the, the number one recommendation I would have is speak to the mortgage broker or bank um, to get your pre-qualification. And then basically the pre-qualification is going to tell you based off of your income, your savings, um, how much you're going to be qualified for that loan. That way you have that and you can keep that in mind when you start searching so that when you start searching, you're not searching for something way f far out of your price range um, that in, in fact you're going to fall in love with and then end up not being able to purchase in the long run. So it's a good idea to get pre-qualified first. And when you get pre-qualified, what happens? Does your lender give you a letter saying, hey, you have half a million dollars to spend? How yes. does it work? So typically the lender will do a credit check. They'll ask for um, your annual income, and then they'll also ask for any assets that you might have. So they'll ask for estimated amount in bank savings, retirement, um, et cetera. And at that point, they will run the numbers, generate a letter for you, and that letter you can present to potential um, sellers when you're actually putting the offer in. 
So to make a very strong offer, um, I would recommend putting in the offer and including the pre-qualification letter, letter to show that seller that you're actually qualified to purchase a home. Got it. Is the pre-qualification letter necessary? In other words, do you need to have it uh, when you're going to put an offer in on a place? You don't necessarily need to have it, but it's highly recommended. And then that's basically the first place that you start. Of course, if you're buying cash, you don't need any. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, when, you get the pre when you get the pre-qualification letter and the amount is 500000 750000 a million dollars, what do you tell buyers as far as how much should they spend? Right, so just because you're pre-qualified for a million bucks, do you just wanna look at places for a million bucks? Or how do you advise clients when they ask you, well, I'm pre-qualified for X, how much should I spend? Sure, so I, I feel like home ownership is, is a really great thing. It's also a big responsibility too. So you wanna be spending how much you're comfortable with. So if you're pre-qualified for a half a million dollars, but realistically that payment is much, far out, much further out of your reach, than what let's say you're paying for rent is right now, I would say stick to a payment that you're comfortable in. And to compute the payment, you wanna have the principal and interest along with the taxes and homeowners insurance as well too. Right, so then along those lines, just because you're pre-qualified for a half million dollar mortgage, like for example, a half million dollar mortgage with today's interest rates would be about how much per month? Um, I would say probably somewhere, well, that's going to depend on the taxes and insurance too, because in, in Cook County, they're pretty high. Um, so you want to take that into the big consideration, but I would say somewhere all in for half a million, it's hard to say. And I guess this is the point that I'm getting yeah. at is because um, I remember when I was first looking for a house, you were actually working here. Yes. And I remember pick <laughs> I picked your brain extensively and got free advice, which, which I love. I guess you were on my You're payroll. welcome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I remember interest rates were super low. I think I locked in uh, at about three and a quarter mm -hmm. on a 30 year fix. But the mortgage payment is just one thing, right? Correct. You've got the mortgage payment and then you've got taxes and then you've got um, insurance and a million other things that come along with Correct. it. Correct. So when I see, like when I come to work, I see billboards about, you know, interest rates are three and a half percent. If you have a half million dollar loan, you're only going to spend X amount of dollars per month. And I think um, what was, you know, tricky for me, which maybe is tricky for your clients is your mortgage payment is one thing, but then you've also got to take into consideration your taxes, um, your insurance and a million other things that come along. With, right. With and so that's else. why it's also important to know the area that you're looking in. So if you're specifically just looking in, um, you know, one suburb, taxes for that uh, set amount of property or that set amount house is going to be pretty comparable across the board, right? So you just want to know if your taxes, if in general, if they're going to be $1,000 a month or are they going to be maybe $500 a month? And then insurance um, also has a play in it too. Right. And that leads me to my next question, which is I would imagine, um, uh, at least for first-time buyers who mm -hmm. come to you, they're mostly renting. Um, and they're spending X amount of dollars uh, per month in rent. Um, and when they're trying to calculate these numbers of their mortgage payment, their down payment, their mortgage payment, their interest, or, or um, I'm sorry, their, their taxes, their insurance, um, compared to what they're paying in rent, you know, um, what do you see as like the pros and cons versus renting um, and owning? So I would say um, renting is a lot less maintenance, right? If something breaks, you're gonna call, your first call is probably gonna be your landlord to come in and fix that. Um, 
owning, it, I would recommend always having a, an amount on reserve just in case you need to actually have some maintenance done on your home, whether it's, you know, a water heater goes out or, um, you know, a, something happens and you have a leak in the roof. So any of those things are then now your responsibility. And at that point, um, it's important that you have the funds available to go ahead and fix that because there's no one else to call. Um, so there's the pros, I would say, of renting would probably be it's a little bit less maintenance. Um, the cons are you're not, you're not making a payment towards your own home. So a lot of times you can't make the fixes, paint the, the walls the same color that you want, um, and then you're also not making a payment towards, towards a home that is yours to own forever, right? So um, the pros of owning, I would say, are probably that home ownership is probably the, one of the, most, the best ways to build wealth. Um, so the, the majority of people's wealth is held within their home. So the average American majority of their wealth is held within their home. So they build equity over time by making payments towards that loan that reduces their loan amount and builds equity in their, their own home. So when they go to sell it, they have equity left um, or they can refinance at times to pull that equity out, so, so on and so forth. So. Got it. And while we're talking about uh, monthly expenses, mortgage, taxes, insurance, when people come to you, I'm sure they ask you, how much do I put down? How do you answer that question? And is that question different depending on um, buying a condo, buying a house, if the property's uh, half a million dollars, is it a million dollars, is it their primary residence, is it an investment property? How do you answer that question of how much money should I put down? So I really think it would depend on um, what their financial situation is and what their financial picture looks like. If they have quite a bit of money or they're receiving a gift to put as a down payment, that's always that always makes it a little bit easier. Um, if it is a situation where they're they're still building and they're you know maybe they're younger and they're just looking to get into a, the first place because they're renting, um, there's options anywhere from three and a half percent to you know twenty percent or more down depending on what that person's financial that that buyer's financial situation actually looks like. And while we're talking about money down, mortgages, monthly expenses, can you tell me a little bit about the different types of loans that people can take out? Sure. So um, FHA loans are loans that fairly require a fairly um, reasonable down payment. Typically, the minimum down payment on an FHA loan is a three and a half percent. Um, that also, FHA loans will also allow for borrowers who maybe don't have excellent credit, but it's good credit. Um, they'll, they'll it allow for borrowers to um, use an FHA loan as a vehicle for their their mortgage. And then um, conventional loans, typically you can, if it's your primary residence, you can put anywhere from five to twenty percent down. And then there's always jumbo loans as well too. And a jumbo loan basically is if the home exceeds a certain, if the loan amount exceeds a certain amount, so you're looking at bigger loans in this situation, these jumbo loans um, will be for that buyer who's maybe interested in buying something that's more expensive and exceeds the loan limits of the FHA and conventional loan guidelines. Let's talk about uh, buying and selling. Okay. You do both, right? Correct. So I'll represent clients who are buying and the clients that are selling, and sometimes they do it simultaneously. So they're um, selling one property to go ahead and buy a, a bigger home or vice versa. Is your business or your practice, is it about 50% buying and selling? Um, yeah, I would say I would say a good majority ends up being an equal amount of buys and sells. What would you say are the three biggest mistakes that sellers make when they're trying to sell a property? So I think that sellers um, 
one of the biggest things that I see is just the time frame, right? And sellers tend to get anxious to sell their, their home. So if it's sitting on the market for three months, um, sometimes they get a little bit anxious to, to sell and move because maybe they found a property or this, this home is uh, holding them back from moving and finding the property of their dreams that they may have seen and already had passed. Um, so they get a little anxious and then maybe, you know, will take a lower offer than what the, what the home is, is actually worth. Um, or the other option or the other, uh, situation I see a lot too is when sellers, um, own their home, but they haven't really done a lot of maintenance. And so buyers, on the other hand, will have an inspection completed and the inspection, um, their issues will come up and then the seller will be, um, will hold back on providing credits or fixing any issues just out of principle, which sometimes ends up killing a deal. Okay, and what are some common mistakes that buyers make? I would say buyers, um, a lot of times they, they maybe don't get pre-qualified first, so they're, they're looking at things that are out of their price range. Um, and then in that, in that same term, you know, they're just not doing their research as far as um, area and narrowing down. They just kind of start with a broad, a broad area of, oh, I want to live in Chicago. Well, Chicago has so many different pockets and so many different areas, and taxes in each of those different areas ends up being you know, a very different range. So um, just doing research. I feel like the more research you do as a buyer will only give you more advantage. Okay. And while we're talking about living in Chicago, I remember uh, my wife and I, Dara, were having this uh, conversation where we were trying to figure out, do we want to buy a condo and live in the city or do we want to wait, which we ultimately did, and just buy a house and move to the burbs? What are the pros and cons of owning a condo versus owning a house? In other words, uh, you hear people talk about monthly assessments, and monthly assessments are oftentimes expensive, and people will complain about it, but they also cover things like water and garbage and other things. When you're in the burbs, you're getting separate bills for that. So what would you say are uh, pros and cons of condo life versus owning a single-family home? Sure. So um, it's January, and it was snowing out today. So one of the pros of... Um, living in a condo is a lot of times there will be maintenance that'll be covered uh, within your monthly assessment, right? So if, if it snows, the, they'll hire someone to come and pick that up. Trash is included. Sometimes it's if it's a bigger building, there's additional amenities like a gym, a pool, however that may be. Um, of course, that then, that then reflects in the homeowners association dues. And the homeowners association dues will cover the expenses to pay for all of these additional amenities um, and conveniences that you would actually have to cover on your own owning a home. Um, so some of the pros of owning a condo, I would say it's less maintenance because that's usually included within the homeowners association. Um, and then it's also um, the, the building itself will usually be covered by the homeowners association and then you can't necessarily um, make repairs. So the homeowners association also then kind of ends up having the con of the same route as um, having more control over the building itself and then the unit owners. Um, and you're usually stacked, you know, right on top of each other. So if you're maybe someone with a growing family or have a dog and you need a backyard, it might be better to um, take a look at other options and look the route of owning your own home with a backyard and some space. Um, so the pros of that would be you can always add onto a house, right, where you wouldn't be able to do that in a condo. You could make changes to the house if you needed to um, for a growing family, let's say. Or um, 
you end up basically allowing yourself, the, or the, on, the, on the con of that, I'd say you'd end up allowing, having to cover for maintenance and expenses um, where the homeowners association would actually cover. Got it. If you're a first time buyer, you're ready to start looking for a place, you need to get a real estate agent, mm -hmm. right? And you also need to get a mortgage broker, right? Typically, I mean, you don't necessarily always have to have a real estate agent. You can do a for sale by owner. Um, personally, I would recommend a real estate agent, if, especially if you're a first time buyer, because they're the one that's gonna be able to guide you in the right direction, give you additional information that you may not be able to obtain on your own, show you properties, and then also um, explain you know, the different options of the listing. So go through taxes, uh, estimated payments, so on and so forth, which will then in turn reflect on how you put in the offer. They're also the ones doing the negotiating back and forth with the buyers and sellers, so they represent or they're, they're basically representing you in the submitting the offer. So they'll do the, the initial negotiation of coming up to a fair price between the buyer and the seller. How do you recommend finding a real estate agent and or a mortgage broker? I feel like real estate agents and mortgage brokers are much like lawyers. Uh, dime they're a dozen. Yes. yes. <laughs> so just like we are always trying to stand out from the other billion lawyers uh, in Chicago and Illinois and across the country. Uh, what advice do you have for people who are trying to find a real estate agent and or trying to find a mortgage broker? Where do they find them? Sure. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of agents in particular, well, there's plenty of people that are licensed, but it's, it's important to find someone who maybe does this as their full-time job and who is active and who knows the area um, and who's willing to, who you get along with as well, too, because you got to remember this is also going to be a process that's maybe going to take three to six months on the long end for you to actually go see the properties. Um, it has to be someone you're comfortable with. You can say, no, I really didn't like that and here's why, you know, and and this is what I'm actually looking for and then have them retain that information to go out and actually find something that you're looking for and help you along through that way. Um, so I would say just find someone that you trust. Um, same thing with a mortgage broker. Um, I, different banks and different lenders offer different options too. So. Uh, my biggest suggestion with that is rock stars, no rock stars. So if you find a real estate agent who is awesome, they probably have a very good referral source. I like that. Rock stars, no rock stars. Yes. Interesting. Um, one thing I learned when uh, we bought our first place, uh, I was referred a mortgage broker. And I quickly learned that mortgage brokers only have relationships with certain banks or certain lenders. Is that still true? Is it always true? In other words, if you go to a broker, they may only have access to a handful of lenders. Um, for the most part, that that's somewhat true. I mean, it, it's a case-by-case -case basis, so sometimes they, ha they have access to more banks or lenders than others. Um, you know, if you go into your local bank, that mortgage loan officer is only going to really have access to that bank's underwriting guidelines and what that bank has to offer. So working with a broker would be helpful in the fact that you might have some additional options than just, let's say, walking into the local bank branch that you bank at because they'll have um, an array of different banks that they work with. Got it. And I remember when you were working here and I was going through the home buying process, this is one of the big things that you helped me out mm -hmm. with, where the mortgage broker I had only had certain relationships at certain banks and those banks happened to be uh, conservative with down payments and what they wanted. And then on top of it, their interest rates weren't as competitive 
as at least what I saw on the billboards. And I remember you gave me some really good advice and you said, who do you bank with uh, for the business, for the mm -hmm. firm? Mm -hmm. uh, I contacted them and you also said, who do you do your personal banking with? And I also contacted them. And as it turns out, I went with PNC Bank, which is who I do all my business banking with. And for them, it was easy because they already had all my business information. And then on top of it, uh, they provided me the most competitive rate. So that was right. a big learning lesson for me when you were here where in addition to my broker shopping around, you would also said, hey, reach out to your personal bank, your business bank, and ask around and see what they can do. Absolutely, because if you have a, a established relationship with them, um, they're likely going to provide you with you know, different um, benefits than if you weren't gonna have that relationship with them. Okay, let's talk about um, having a lawyer involved at the closing, inspections, those things. Do you, let's first start with lawyers. Do you always recommend having a lawyer help either a buyer or a seller to closing? What do the lawyers do? Yes, so I would recommend, I would highly recommend having an attorney that would just review everything. So that's where I come in. And at that point, um, I, I basically come in typically when the, um, buyer or seller is under contract. So once they have an active contract and they have a buyer or seller on the other side willing to either sell or buy their home. Um, so at that point, I come in, I'll review the contract. On the buyer side, the process typically goes, um, we'll get the contract in, there's five business days, so it ends up being a week for attorney review period. And during attorney review period, I'll review the contract. I will make any necessary changes that I see fit for that contract. So if there's a provision in the contract that maybe we need to eliminate or add in, I can go ahead and do that. If there's specifics as far as um, you know, the proration on taxes, I'll negotiate that. Um, the biggest thing for the buy side is getting that inspection. So the during the attorney review period, the buyers will have the opportunity to get an inspection. During the inspection, the inspector will go out there and he'll look at things that are um, basically, they're um, not available to the to the naked eye, right? So it'll be, if there's, let's say there's mold and it wasn't noticed during during the showing or the age of the water heater or how, whatever it may be. So he will come up, he or she will come up with a list of items that they see could be red flags or could be hazardous. And then at that point, I'll usually review that with the buyers and we'll say, is this something that you're now aware of um, and you still wanna proceed? And as long as they still wanna proceed, we can also negotiate, maybe we want that fixed. So if there is mold, they need to fix the mold before we move in, or we need a credit so that we can go ahead and actually fix that portion of the house, right? Or um, if there's a broken window, we need a credit for that window, or we, we need them to fix the window before we move in. And what stage of the process is that? So let's say you're representing a buyer, they found a place, they put an offer in, they put a down payment, it's accepted, and then what goes on between the time of you're under contract until you close. What's, sure. what's that period, the period, is that escrow? So that's basically just the period, no, that's, that's typically just the period from being under contract. So that's called being under contract and you're contingent on the part of the property's contingent at this point. Um, contingent to that contract moving forward essentially. Okay. So um, during that period we have the attorney review, which is the inspection that I just, that I just reviewed. And then um, that's also the opportunity where you're securing your loan. 
So you're going back and forth with your lender, providing any additional documentation that they might need to give you the okay to say, okay, now we're, we're clear to close um, and we have everything, it's all finalized, we're gonna lend you this money. And then at that point, once we get the clear to close, the attorneys will, and typically that, that process will take probably about 30 days um, for your lender to complete all those steps. And then after we receive the, the clear to close, the attorneys will come together um, and get the closing date and attend closing. So once we attend closing, we'll review all the documents. Um, on the buyer side, we review all, the, all, all of the loan documents, uh, we review all of the seller's documents just to make sure everything's correct, and then we close at a title company, typically. And why, do, why does the end and the closing take place at a title company? Sure. So the title company is the, um, basically the, the title company conducts all of the payments being made. So all funds from the bank will get wired to the, to the, to the title company, and then they, they will get wired to the seller. So the title company is um, dis distributing all the different ways of payment, uh, and then they also offer what's called title insurance, and basically that's insurance um, f paid by the seller so that any, any claims that may have come up during the seller's time of ownership will be titled, or will be covered. Um, so there's different fees associated with the title company, but they're necessary factors, but specifically in Illinois. Got it. When, I, when uh, Darren and I bought our first place, we were lucky in the sense that we were renting in the city. Um, we could get out of our lease relatively easily. We found a spot where we wanted to move, and once we had an idea of where we wanted to move, we sort of just sat back, waited for the best opportunity for us, and then we moved forward. Um, it was a relatively smooth process. I got the pre-qualification letter. We had a real estate agent, a mortgage broker, and everything was pretty smooth. And then all of a sudden, about two weeks before we closed, it seemed like that entire time leading up to that, no one was really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And then my mortgage broker was scrambling, trying to get me information, and we need this for the title company and the real estate. And I was wondering to myself, like, what's been going on for the past couple of months? So what do you, what's your advice for people? And I've talked to other people who've bought places, and it seems like there's a lot of last minute scrambling about, uh, we need this type of financial information, or we need a bank statement for the last 90 days, or something like that. And I remember thinking to myself, well, why didn't you ask me this 30 days ago? Absolutely. And so, uh, do you have any advice on how to make that, for me, that was the most stressful part of the purchasing process, was the last couple of weeks where I felt like everyone was scrambling. And what was also interesting is even when we went to the title company for the closing, it seemed a little bit chaotic. So do you have advice for people who haven't been through that on how to sort of stomach the last two weeks of the purchase process? Yeah, so um, having a very good lender might help, you know, <laughs> move that process along faster than expected. Um, but then also... I don't some of think these... my mortgage broker is going to be on this uh, <laughs> video video podcast next, even though in the back of my mind, I was thinking of having him on. He was awesome. And my bank uh, was awesome. And like I said, it was just really stressful with the yeah. amount of information they needed at the end. So I, I think that just to like kind of go towards that piece too, um, some of these things you can't necessarily do 30 days in advance. Like you need it. The, the bank needs to get a verification of employment and they typically wait till the last couple days to actually get that verification of employment. Um, you know, to, to keep the process going because they want to make sure that you're holding a job once they issue 
the clear to close. Um, or there's certain there's other factors that kind of correlate specific to that too, where things can't be done um, so far in advance until you know a week or so before closing to make sure everything's still as stated on the application. Um, so that that also has something to do with it. So there are a lot of moving parts at the end, um, coordinating closing. Um, the title company will typically also have multiple closings per day, so it's just important to have your attorneys present and guide you through that process. Um, they're people that have done it before. The attorneys, agents, mortgage ba bankers or brokers, they do this all the time, so it's just important to have that trust within them too um, and allow them just to kind of take their, their role. What I also found interesting um, during my experience, and once again, I've only done it once, but we got to the title company and the amount of time you're there. And mm. I, I always joke around the office that every contract is meant to be broken. Um, <laughs> or I, maybe I should phrase it like this, no one really cares about contracts until someone mm -hmm. breaches them. And I remember uh, showing up at our closing and I was super anxious to get it done and there were a million different things going on at the time. We were um, out of our apartment in the city and we happened to be staying at my dad's place with like a dog and Brody and mm -hmm. things were super chaotic. And, and I remember finally showing up at the title company and all I cared about was um, just show me the numbers and I just wanna make sure that the numbers line up. Right. And the other 100 pages of documents I had to review and sign, I just kept saying like, show me where to sign, show me where to sign. Yeah. Like if there's a problem, we'll deal with it later. Yeah. So um, is that process at the closing at the title company, is it always, I mean, I didn't read much, and I think we were there for over an hour. So typically what I do is I review um, the key pieces of information, right? So there's always, there, there's not always, but most of the time there's, if you're having, if you have the mortgage, there's the note and the mortgage, um, and then all the bank documents that kind of go along with that, and that's the bulk of it. And those are the items that I, are, I review, but then there's also, they're pretty similar. So I, I, what I'm doing when I'm reviewing them is, um, just looking for clauses that might stick out that might be a little bit different from uh, that's not normal in in that situation so and then what i what i'll do is i'll explain to the buyer um you know this is the rate the loan amount due this is what the payments are going to look like this is going to be the final payment this is when each payment's due so i just basically go over all the, the documents with them in that manner um and then the seller, the seller's attorney will typically prepare the deed and any additional documents um, for me to review as well, too. So sometimes if we haven't done that much communication beforehand, it, changes need to be made and that needs to, to be completed before the actual closing. So at points that can get somewhat time consuming. Um, but for the most part, it's usually the loan package that ends up being the biggest part of the time. Got it. Is there one piece of advice that you would give to a first-time buyer? Um, take your time, but at the same time, you know, like know that there's we're in a great market right now, so rates are still fairly low. Um, it's you know people say that we're topping out at the market right now, but at the same time, if you're ready to buy and you're planning on being there for the next 15 years, it doesn't necessarily matter if we're topping out at the market because we're always going to have those um, ups and downs with real estate, just like any other market. And if you were giving the same advice to a first-time seller, what would be your main piece of advice for them? If it's part of where you are in your life cycle that you need to sell, you need to sell. So I wouldn't necessarily take it. It's pretty much the same advice of, 
you know, I wouldn't necessarily take into consideration the overall market and where things are. Um, it, you just have to do what's best for you and what's most affordable for you and what's best, where, what's best for your future as well, too. Okay. You've purchased some properties, right? Condo, yes. you've got... Got a few houses, um, a two flat, and I no longer have my condo, which I still miss dearly. (laughs) That's awesome. Congrats, though, on buying all these properties. Um, What's something you've learned during the whole process, whether it's uh, buying a place, selling a place, living in a condo, investment properties? So the renovation piece of it, it... um, it's not as consuming and stressful as I thought it would be. I actually really enjoy it. Um, but some people don't have that same mindset or that same uh, that same opinion for <laughs> for have renovations. You, have you renovated a place you've lived in? I have. So my current place I renovated, um, and it took 60 days to do the first unit and the second unit. And uh, it was pretty straightforward, but of course there's always things get kind of, they kind of get thrown in the mix or changes that come up. Um, so finding a good contractor is always very important too. Okay. That probably goes along the lines where if you didn't think it was that stressful, you were always the one who taught me that change is good. Change is great. Change is is great. Uh, Let's do a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Perfect. Um, What's your favorite animal? A dog. A dog. Me too. (laughs) Same here. If you go go on the website and you see this for myself, I put down a dog too. Awesome. Um, You have a dog right now? I have a dog. My dog, Louie. Louie? And Louie's the rescue, right? He's a rescue, yes. He's a pit lab mix, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. You got him when you were still working here, right? Right right before I started here. So he's... He's about five and a half years old now. Okay. I think he's been to the office, right? He has been to the office. Yeah. <laughs> um, what app do you use most? On my phone? Yeah. Uh, probably my email. I mean, for something that's less boring than just my email app. Um, uh, let's do something interesting. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you consider, do you consider your email? I guess it's an app. It is an app. Yeah. Um, what other app would I say I use the most? Um, I like Pinterest. I use Pinterest and YouTube quite a bit. Okay. So I would say those two are probably my, you know, like before I go to sleep, those, that's usually what I'm on. What do you use Pinterest for? Um, I look at property rehabs and, <laughs> and renovations and, you know, kitchen ideas and things like that. Uh, I take it you like HGTV? <laughs> I like HGTV what's, too, yes. What's your favorite show on HGTV um, right now? What is it called? Uh, Good Bones. Good Bones? Yes. I don't know. I watch it. It's like a mom and daughter and they basically buy houses in Indianapolis and rehab them and then they, they end up selling them. Okay. Sometimes they hold them. Sounds good. What's your favorite food? Um, pizza. I mean, it's Chicago. Very good answer. <laughs> How about uh, what would be your ideal vacation? Um, well, I went to Europe and that was a pretty good vacation, so I'd love to go back there. Um, I went to Croatia and Paris and that was an excellent vacation. I'd love to go back to Europe. Um, I'd also, I think I would also like to go back to South America and spend some time there. Cool. How would you finish this sentence? Weekends are for? Um, my, the first thought was for working, unfortunately. <laughs> That's what happens when you own your own law firm, <laughs> that right? That is. Weekends are for me to catch up on work, but um, when I'm not catching up on work, I just enjoy spending time at home, Netflix, with family, whatever it is. Sounds good. And speaking of work, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, Best way to get in touch with me is probably by email or by phone. 
So 773-218-5054 is my phone. Um, and I can share the email with you and Perfect. We can put we'll, it on the screen. We'll put yeah. it up on the video. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once again, uh, I, I, like I said, when you, uh, when you left here and you told me you were going back into the financial world, mm -hmm. I was, I was a little heartbroken because um, I thought that I like failed you. It was like you're, <laughs> you were, you were a law clerk here, you were an attorney here, yeah. and then you're like, I'm done with law, and I'm thinking to myself. What did I do wrong? So um, anyway, nothing. I'm good, good. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad though that like I, when you were working here, I also thought the same thing too. I always thought to myself that um, that you would always open up your own firm. Yeah. I knew you had like a financial real estate sort of business background and um, I knew this is something you would totally do. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you came full circle and ended up, you know. Starting, I am too, I really am. Firm. Like I, every day it's not even work anymore for me. It's just like what I do now. Um, but one of the biggest things that I just, want like I felt like was calling home was when I was just like I I was trying all these different things um for like a good two years and then I was like why am I drifting away from what I actually know and so when I went back to what I know um I decided to open up my own law practice and then it all kind of went from there awesome well thank you for being a guest on episode one season one of our first uh video podcast yes thank and you I appreciate it yeah it's been yeah it's been awesome it's been a ton of fun and stay tuned for our next video podcast thank you